0: Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 3, Episode 14, The Rise and Fall of the Soga Clan The precise origins of the Soga Clan are unfortunately unknown to us today. You may recall that there were generally two types of clans in the Asuka period, the Omi. And the Muraji, and that the Omi group claimed to descend from the mythical King Kogen, and the Muraji claimed descent directly from gods. Muraji clans generally carried their own unique family name, while the Omi clans adopted the name of the place where they held power. The Soga clan was an Omi clan and owned estates and farms in an area called Soga. By the time the Soga appear in Japanese histories in the early 400s, they were already acting as power brokers, working on behalf of the rulers of Yamato. It is a distinct possibility that the Soga emigrated from Baekje or one of the other Korean powers, and I've already noted in previous episodes that the Soga leaders were fierce advocates for the adoption of Korean models of state and religion. Recent archaeological efforts have also uncovered a considerable amount of Korean pottery in the Nara Basin, which scholars determined originated in Baekje. While all of this is a far cry from certainty regarding the Soga having a particular peninsular origin, it certainly leaves the possibility open. The earliest member of the Soga clan which we are reasonably certain did exist is Soga no Iname. What does it mean to be reasonably certain that someone existed? Usually it means that we don't have a good explanation for the events that surrounded their lives and the events that followed if that person didn't exist. Soga no Iname served as omi which again is the highest rank for an Omi leader, under King Kinmei. He arranged for two of his daughters to be married to the king, which helped him exert power over the monarch using his family connections. When Baikje sent a grand delegation which gave the king a great bronze statue of Sakyamuni, that is, the Buddha, as well as many other Buddhist-specific treasures in 552, it was Soga no Iname who so helpfully offered to house the ritual elements in his family's temple. This incident reveals a lot about East Asian politeness customs of the time, many of which continue in Japan, although on a much smaller scale, to this day. King Kimmei did not want to offend Baikje by refusing a gift, but he also did not want his subjects believing that he was abandoning the traditional deities. Remember, his people, both noble and common, absolutely believed that nature itself depended upon their king successfully performing the seasonal rituals to the satisfaction of the gods of their land. When the Mononobe resisted the import of Buddhism into Yamato, Japan, they definitely had some support from a worried populace. Soga no Umako took up the reins of Omi from his father Iname, and we all know how that turned out. The Mononobe clan was destroyed, Buddhism became the ascendant religion among the influential, and the Soga clan's power continued to climb. Umako is credited with arranging for his comrade-in-arms, Prince Shotoku, to become regent over Queen Suiko, who I promised we would discuss further. While her appointment as queen was dependent upon Soga clan support, and while certainly Prince Shotoku was the primary executive, we have good reason to believe that Queen Suiko acted in a somewhat independent manner and was very politically savvy. She reigned for 35 years, practically a lifetime compared to her three immediate predecessors who reigned for five, two, and seven years, respectively. When toward the end of her reign, Soga no Umako requested a grant of royal land, she flatly refused him. Keep in mind, this is the man who openly assassinated her predecessor and was easily the most powerful leader in the nation. Saying no to the Soga was no small matter. Umako died in 626, four years after the passing of Prince Shotoku. His son inherited the title of Omi. It seems that even with the cap and rank system, some clans were still allowed to inherit their offices. Soga no Emishi was now the head of the Soga clan, and for all intents and purposes, was the most powerful man in Japan. He was 39 or 40 when he took charge, and his first test of leadership would be to choose a new monarch when Suiko died two years later in 628. While on her deathbed, Queen Suiko recommended two people as possible replacements. One was Prince Tamura, the grandson of former King Bidatsu, who was favored by Soga no Emishi and the other high-ranking members of the Soga clan, while the other option was Prince Yamashiro, who was the son of Prince Shotoku and enjoyed the support of many of the lower-ranking members of the court. This may not have come to much consequence, except that Yamashiro had one particularly austere supporter whose presence seems to have posed a real problem for Soga no Emishi. This supporter was his own uncle, Sakaibe no Marisei. Marisei was not just any elder Soga clansman, he was the brother of Soga no Umako, and it seems reasonable to assume that, although he obviously did not inherit the title of Omi, some of his late siblings' influence seems to have transferred to him by proximity. The son of Umako supports Tamura, but Umako's own brother supports Yamashiro. This is the sort of situation which can rapidly spin out of control, so, thankfully, both sides came together to work out an amicable agreement. (laughs) Just kidding. Soga no Emishi arranged for his uncle to be murdered, and quickly thereafter proclaimed that Queen Suiko's will clearly named his favorite candidate, Prince Tamura, as the rightful successor to the Yamato throne. The Soga approach to problem solving, it seems, was a two step process. 1. Identify the problem, and 2. Arrange for the problem to be assassinated. While it's tempting to assess this process as barbaric, it's worth noting at this point that the Soga clan's increasing reliance on these violent methods would not pass without consequence. Prince Tamura ascended the throne and is remembered as King Joomei. In true Soga fashion, Eimichi arranged for the king to be married to one of his daughters, though it seems he was already married to one of his own sisters. The chronicles do not paint a flattering picture of Soga no Eimichi or his son Soga no Iruka. Often portrayed as typical eastern tyrants who abuse people beneath them while they enjoy a lavish lifestyle at the public expense, the Soga clan's reputation may not be entirely deserved, considering the tendency of later chroniclers to crib from Chinese historians recounting the Shang dynasty or some other vilified forebear. However, I think it's a mistake to assume that the Soga are entirely innocent of these charges. King Jomei, meanwhile, seems to have known better than to cross the Soga. He performed his functions as king, rubber-stamped any demands which the soga leaders presented, and spent his spare time composing poetry. A later collection of Japanese poetry called the Manyoshu attributes the following poem to Jomei. Countless are the mountains in Yamato, but perfect is the heavenly hill of Kagu. When I climb it and survey my realm over the wide plain the smoke wreaths rise and rise. Over the wide lake, the gulls are on the wing. A beautiful land it is, the land of Yamato. The story goes that Soga no Emishi greatly enriched himself during the reign of his puppet king Jomei, and when the monarch passed away in 641 after 13 years on the throne, Emishi was ready with his replacement. Chosen to succeed King Jome was his first wife, who became known as Queen Kôgyôku. There are many signs of discontent among the various powerful clans at court in the years immediately following. Thirteen years was a good and fairly stable stretch for King Jômei, but it wasn't long enough to make the aggrieved parties who had opposed his coronation forget how they had been wronged. Amishi's choice of a woman to take the throne may have been an attempt at peacemaking. After all, the last time we chose a woman to serve as our primary monarch, she ruled for many decades and everyone was happy. It could be that way again if only certain people would stop making such a fuss over the Soga clan's selections. There was one threat to Soga hegemony, which Amy She took very seriously. Prince Yamashiro was still alive, and the legends of the greatness of his father, Crown Prince Shotoku, had only grown in the 20 years since his death. I cannot say for certain whether there was a concerted effort among the marginalized members of the Soga clan and their allies at court to set Prince Yamashiro on the throne, but Amishi certainly feared the possibility. However, he seems to have made no move directly against Yamashiro himself. In 643, he grew gravely ill and preemptively passed the title of Omi to his son Iruka, who did not share his hesitation to employ the classic Soga solution to the problem of Prince Yamashiro. Soga no Iruka took an armed warband to Prince Yamashiro's home to kill him. However, there would be no need to stain their blades. The prince and his family committed suicide the moment they saw the soldiers approaching their home. A genuinely sad fate for the last descendants of Prince Shotoku. When the now-retired Soga no Emishi heard about his son's rash action, he is said to have disapproved and told Iruka that he had committed a grave mistake. As for Queen Kogyoku, she would have the later distinction of serving as monarch twice, under two different names. During this first term, however, tensions were running high. Many of the nobles at court who were not in the Soga clan's inner circle were starting to chafe under the yoke of the mighty clan. Normally this could be laughed off by those in power as the grumblings of a discontented minority— but now the anti-Soga faction was starting to gain momentum as two very important officials joined them. One was the son of the late King Jomei and the queen herself, a prince known as High Prince Naka. His most passionate ally in the anti-Soga faction was Nakatomi Nokamako, a high-ranking member of the Nakatomi clan who disliked the Soga clan's zealous promotion of Buddhism. The third leading member of this faction was a member of the Soga clan and Iruka's own cousin, Soga no Ishikawa, who was also High Prince Naka's father-in-law. These three hatched a plan to put an end to the two leading members of the Soga clan. Soga no Iruka intended to raise Queen Kogyoku's brother Furuhito to the throne after her time as monarch had ended. Being a grandson of Soga no Umako, Prince Furuhito was a close cousin of Iruka's, and his appointment to the throne would likely mean a near-permanent state of Soga rule. Thus the need, the plotters no doubt argued, for drastic action. The trio who formed the leadership of the anti-Soga alliance made a plan in 645. They must have been very careful to keep their machinations beneath the notice of Soga no Iruka, although perhaps Soga no Ishikawa knew from previous experience who could and could not be trusted to help within his own clan. The story goes that when messengers from the three kingdoms of Korea arrived to deliver gifts to the queen, the three decided it was the perfect time to spring the trap. While the Yamato court was not yet as lavish and opulent as the courts of Korea or China, it certainly had a sense of propriety, and official delegations like this were cause for all the ministers to attend to the queen. That meant Soga no Iruka would definitely attend. The chronicles indicate that Soga no Iruka was convinced to leave his sword outside of the Daigokuden palace, which indeed boded well for the conspirators. Iruka was a notoriously cautious man, who always had a sword strapped to his hip, and even kept one nearby while sleeping. However, it bears remembering that the Soga leaders had been the power behind the throne in Yamato, and by extension, all of Japan, for more than a hundred years at this point, possibly longer Perhaps Iruka's real enemy was his own self-assured confidence. The plan was for two of the guards to murder Iruka as his cousin Soga no Ishikawa read aloud from the Chronicles of the Three Kingdoms. High Prince Naka and Nakatomi no Kamako hid in storage cabinets in the palace's main chamber, with a sword and bow, respectively, in case the guards botched the initial attempt. However, there was a problem. The guards tasked with the actual killing of Iruka grew incredibly anxious as the hour of action approached. They remained outside the palace, vomiting from the weight of what they were about to do. Meanwhile, Soga no Ishikawa grew nervous as he was reading the chronicles and began noticeably sweating and trembling. Allegedly, Iruka asked him, Why are you shaking? and he replied, Because it is such an honor to be so close to the queen. After a long delay, High Prince Naka surmised correctly that his hired assassins had lost their nerve, and so slid open the door he hid behind, jumped out as he drew his sword, and started slashing Iruka. By this time, the assassins had recovered their nerves and ran to join him, causing a terrible commotion in the process. Queen Kogyoku, who it appears was not directly involved in the plot, stood and cried out, which caused the assailants to cease their attack. Iruka, badly wounded from cuts on his head, shoulder, and leg, threw himself on the ground before the queen, begging her to command them to stop. The queen asked her son, High Prince Naka, why he had thus attacked Soga no Iruka. He answered that the Omi had tried to usurp the throne by killing members of the royal family. This was a critical moment in the history of Japan and I can't help but wonder if things might have turned out differently for Soga no Iruka if Queen Kogyoku had ordered him to be protected. However, the man was already so badly wounded that it seems likely he would have died of his injuries, even if she had tried to spare him. It also seems likely that if the queen took a moment to consider the scene before her, she may have realized that her own son's life could be in danger if she kept Iruka alive. We have no way to know what was going through Queen Kogyoku's mind, as she beheld her wounded chief minister bleeding on the ground before her, pleading for his life. The chronicles indicate at this point she left the chamber and retired to an inner room of the palace. The moment she was gone, High Prince Naka and his co-conspirators put an end to Soga no Iruka once and for all by beheading him, casting his body into a waterlogged garden outside the palace, and covering the corpse with a detached door. The line had been crossed now, and there was no turning back. The various chronicles of this period differ slightly on what came next. First, there arose the need to resolve the issue among Soga no Iruka's followers, who began amassing an army to avenge their fallen lord. One account says that High Prince Naka sent a messenger whom the Soga loyalists trusted, who then convinced them to disband their forces. The prince, meanwhile, gathered his own army at Asukadera temple and prepared for battle. It is possible that the messenger was successful and that those who desired to avenge Iruka dispersed. The day after the assassination, Iruka's father, Soga no Emishi, set his own house on fire, killing himself and destroying many precious and rare historical manuscripts forever. Included in the smoldering collection were records of the royal house, as well as some of the works of Prince Shotoku and other priceless treasures which the soga were charged with protecting. The day after Emishi's fire, the issue of succession suddenly materialized. Queen Kogyoku, either because she was genuinely horrified at having just witnessed an assassination, or possibly because she feared the others might think she was part of the conspiracy, announced her retirement. She was about to undergo a significant period of ritual ablution regardless, as she needed to be cleansed from the taboo of being so near to death. Initially, the queen selected High Prince Naka as her heir, but Nakatomi no Kamako, objected. We can't be certain why Kamako seemingly betrays his co-conspirator here, but it could be that both he and the prince were concerned with appearances. It was one thing to patriotically kill a tyrant for the good of your country, quite another to do it because you desired the tyrant's power for yourself. It seems appropriate here to recall the words of Tony Soprano, It shouldn't look like what it is. The more obvious candidate was High Prince Naka's older brother, High Prince Furuhito. However, Prince Furuhito had been the favorite candidate of Soga no Iruka, and the chronicles claim that during the Omi's assassination, he fled the palace in terror and ran through the capital streets shouting that the Koreans were murdering Iruka. I can't be certain if he was simply confused about what he was seeing, or if perhaps the palace guards who finalized the killing were indeed originally of peninsular origin. In any case, Prince Furuhito was wise enough to understand that if he didn't find a way to remove himself from the situation, that he probably wouldn't be alive much longer, and so he opted to shave his head and take orders as a Buddhist monk retiring from court life to pursue his newfound religious interests. Some accounts claim that it was when Furuhito became a monk that Iruka's would-be avengers disbanded and went home. The next most obvious candidate who had a claim to the throne was Queen Kogyoku's brother, Prince Karu. There are some historians today who posit that Prince Karu was the mastermind behind this entire incident— but I don't think there's enough evidence to really support that. Considering how close the entire enterprise came to failing completely, I wonder if the prince would even want credit for the coup that put him on the throne. Certainly he benefited, but that's all we can really be sure of for now. After the dust had settled, the new status quo emerged. Prince Karu ascended the throne as King Kotoku. High Prince Naka was named as his heir, and Nakatomi no Kamako was given a nice promotion to the post of Uchi no Omi, a high-ranking court position. Kamako emerged as a real power player after this, and we'll explore his further development, and indeed the development of the entire court, in the next episode. Sadly for him, Prince Furuhito's vows were not enough to save him. A few months after the coup, which is referred to as the Ishii Incident, High Prince Naka heard a rumor that the ousted prince was planning a rebellion. He traveled to Asukadera Temple himself and killed his older brother. Whether his sibling was actually planning a rebellion remains a mystery. While on the surface this might seem like High Prince Naka had nobly stepped aside to allow a worthier candidate to ascend the Chrysanthemum Throne, this does not reflect the deeper reality under the surface. The practical truth was that High Prince Naka, now Crown Prince Naka, had basically filled the void left by the murder of Soga no Iruka and made himself into the power behind the throne. It will be some time... Before he fills the big seat himself, but make no mistake, he was now the de facto ruler of Japan, and would remain so for decades to come. Next time, we'll learn about the changes that were in store for the Yamato court now that the Soga clan had been marginalized and Crown Prince Naka began enacting sweeping reforms. Until then, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at A History of Japan. Visit the online store, ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com, and find us on the web, ahistoryofjapan.com.